Welcome to the C-Suite podcast from Slush 2023 from a beautiful and snowy Helsinki. We're producing this podcast in partnership with Remote, the global HR platform. I'm your host, Graham Barrett, and I'm going to be speaking to the attendees from Remote Stand here at the event. Really hope you enjoy the conversations. I'm here with Marcelo Lebra. He is the co-founder and president of Remote. Marcelo, lovely to see you. Likewise. Tell me a little bit about Remote to start with. You founded the business, didn't you, back in 2019? Yes. How far have you come? What's happened since? Well, we're now 1,200 people across the world and still growing and going strong. What happened? It feels like two days and also 20 years at the same time. We started with one product, a few countries. Now we're literally all over the world with a lot of products until with a suit that allows companies to manage their business, find, hire, manage, pay people across the world. And it has been a great journey because we follow the, also the journey of our customers in ourselves. And that allows us to follow in, but also build the things that are really, really needed. And it always amazes me that in this space, there's so much to build. There's so much incumbency, old, established, outdated things. And so it's very refreshing and rewarding to keep building. Yeah. Now we're here at Slush in Helsinki. You're speaking on a session called Managing Distributed Teams. So talk to me about building teams and culture at remote. How'd you go about it? Yeah, huge dose of pragmatism, <laughs> and you know, you, you go from a place in the world, or at least in, in the history of labor, where up until 2019, 2020, a distributed organization is either for small startups that are crazy enough to just try this, or massive corporations that depend on huge consultancy firms that will <laughs> invoice them quite handsomely yeah. to explain and define how do you expand globally. And then with the big catalyst that the pandemic was, it showed the world that not only this was doable, but it's very much positive and also very easy. And distributed organizations and companies now become almost a de facto because people realize that everyone was doing it already. You know, you had one person in an office, the other person is actually you know, working from home today. And it, that is, in fact, a distributed organization. And now is more distributed because it's around the world. And with remote, we embraced it since day one. Everyone was literally across the world. So we built the tools that we needed and still need to get the job done. And so all the learnings are, one, battle-tested, because we have to go through it, and second, that working with our partners, our customers, we also see the world turning in this, in this topic. And we see what everyone uses, what is the upside, downside, what are the different use cases, sizes of business, even verticals in which business operate. And so today I'm going to be talking about this journey that is how you build a whole distributed organization across the world. Sure. Now, to grow significantly internationally, you need to attract and retain the best talent. So what advice do you have about that? Build a great working space or culture in a sense that it's enough of the Kool-Aid of telling people we're a family and things like that. Your family is your family. Yeah. <laughs> your job's your job. Yeah, sure. And even as a co-founder, 
It is a job, of course. It's my second child. Yeah, your almost. passion. Yeah. yeah. But in the same way, it is fundamentally important that it addresses the basics of the people's needs. Like this culture comes from doing what the people need in order to make the business function and vice versa, because this is a very symbiotic relationship. And as long as they evolve hand in hand, then you're in a good space. And I know this is a very abstract answer, but the fact is every business has a completely different understanding of what culture is, how do you implement it, what people want of it. And I think the biggest, biggest trick is how do you adapt to it? How about compensation? So you've, you've built your remote team, you've built it internationally, you've attracted the best talent. How do you go about compensating them fairly, being inclusive in that regard yes. as well? There are a few things that go into this. One is you need to define your strategy. And this strategy also changes with the size of the organization, how you're anchored as well. And so you have different models. One model tells you that you just pay local rates. You're fair to the people on the ground. You have to make sure that you're respecting, there's pay equity, and that you know, you're not paying two people differently to do the same job, no matter who they are, what they believe in, and how do they look like. And those things, they're easy to say, but on a day-to-day -day operation, it's very easy to just, you know, because you talk more about it, I'm gonna give you a bit more than just the person that is doing a great job but doesn't talk about it. Sure, yeah. And you have to keep beating the drums of fair pay and equal pay across the board. And of course, other companies do a global uh, approach where they just decide that they pay around that range across the world. And then there's a, a third, which is usually a mix, where you define bands that are, you know, follow the world and decide, you know, what kind of comparison you're gonna pay based on country. And that last model helps you decide, given the market, do you wanna be super competitive? Uh, you wanna be just beat the market or just be on the market? And as long as you're consistent and that predictable, anything works. Right? because it's also about setting the expectations. And when you hire someone to also explain, how do you pay? What should people expect from their careers and that progress? What's next for remote? What are, say, your priorities over the next 12 months? Building and shipping. It's always the priority. Even though we're a big-ish company today, it still feels like day one. Every day feels like day one. And within this space, as I said, it is always interesting and, and also refreshing to see that there's so much more to build, so much more to update, so much more to bring to the market. And our directive is you build a great product with an excellent service. Next 12 months is going to be fully yeah. on it. And if it's always day one, I guess it's always exciting. It's yes. always fresh. Yes. Yeah. Marcelo Lebre, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm here with Anna Gulstrand. She is Chief People and Culture Officer at Mentimeter. Anna, lovely to see you here today. Yeah, lovely to see you. Yeah. Well, listen, <laughs> let's start with Mentimeter. Tell me yeah. a little bit about the company, how it began. Of course. So uh, it began back in 2014. Our founders were working at normal jobs like consultancy, big corps. And they just you know, realized like, oh my God, people have so many meetings. They are so efficient. They are so boring. The intelligence of the group is not used at all. The leaders are talking, 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 yeah. and it's just not efficient, basically. Yeah. So basically, they just 
started to think like there must be another solution to this. Can we engage people in meetings and make meetings more inclusive and make sure that we get like the input from the people who actually has the knowledge. So Mentimeter is an interactive tool that you can use for presentations, meetings, trainings. Basically you just swap the power in a way so, so people in the meeting they are interacting, they are giving input, they are voting, they are asking questions, they are upvoting questions. So, yeah, that's the whole thing. Yeah, no, we've actually used it in our business yeah. in some of our meetings, so it's yeah. really cool. You yeah. get that interaction from exactly. the participants. It's yeah. awesome, yeah. Now, you're Chief People and Culture Officer, as yeah. I said. So, what are some of the challenges? You're an international business now. What are the sort of challenges of managing those teams globally? Yeah, in the start we were only in Stockholm, and now we opened up in Toronto two years ago and in Sydney this year. It's because we have a customer globally so we want to support and be great partners in all time zones basically I would say that one challenge when you're growing this fast because when I started three years ago we were 60 people now we're 350 so that's like a massive growth your ways of working your core values how to make sure that we're aligned your first principles those kind of things it's very easy that they get diluted because you recruit someone maybe a new leader and then that person gets onboarded in a few months but in a few months that person is recruiting for their team and, and supposed to you know lead but they maybe have not really got it yet we don't believe in like rigid structures or policies or processes or checklists we believe like really in clear principles and values that you can operate from and then you have much more autonomy in decision making and we can act faster but then that needs to be embodied in people and that's the hard part. Uh, I would say that we have intensified how we work with our core values in our recruitment processes, in our onboarding, in our performance management conversations. So that has been a big challenge. Well, talk to me about those core values then. What are they yeah. at Mentimeter? So first of all, the foundation is to include everyone and to be humble. With that, we mean basically like what also the Mentimeter platform is about, that if we want engaged and performing co-workers, everyone needs to feel safe at work, feel seen, heard, included, and we need to respect each other. As simple as that. But it's also something for leaders to think about. It's sometimes, of course, you need to be directive and provide a lot of clarity but at many times you also need to open up for conversation for discussions for understanding things for you know asking for input getting the tough questions have time to answer them like to be in in inclusive in that way and then we put a lot of emphasis on working smart so work smart instead of hard so we actually tell people very clear like we only want you to work 40 hours a week because if you put a cap on the hours you work, you need to be smart about how you work. You need to be smart about how you spend your time. Where will it have the, <coughs> the highest impact? Plan the big rocks instead of just spreading yourself too thin. You know, time management. And also because we believe that you will be better at innovation and creativity if you also have a life, you yeah. take care of yourself. And you're not your tired health, all the time. Yeah, yeah your yeah. family. Those things are important and we do believe that we will perform better long term if we think about those things. Yeah, yeah. so obviously you said about all those different countries that you're now present mm -hmm. in. Recruitment, I imagine, is a big challenge. How do yeah. you approach that? How do you get the best talent into the business? Yeah, so, so one thing that we do is that I look at employer branding, for example, as the same as when you do product-led growth. Product-led growth is about putting all the resources into the product and make the product as good as possible because then it will like spread like a wildfire if it's easy to use and, and, so, and so on. We do the same with our employee experiences. We put actually a lot of like money and resources into great employee experiences. 
things that people really like spend time together with their teams, like group development, all those kind of things. We have this uh, relocation where we move the whole office for one month to another country every year. So those kind of things. And why we do that? Because then we invest in people and then people will tell the story. So that's like how we are approaching recruitment. Let's just make sure to do great things together and then people will talk about it because they love working at Mintmeter. They become your brand yeah, ambassadors. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So you know all this like buzzwords, brand ambassadors. Yeah. Yeah. But for me it's just about yeah, but then you should focus on your people yeah. and make sure that they're having a great time and they are performing and have a great career development and all that. And then the ripple effect is more people are coming into the company and discovering the company. So we have a very strong pipe because of this. Yeah. Okay. So that's the history that's where you are now yeah. where can you go next yeah no but oh it's very exciting because as i said 10 years ago it was a, a lot about like meeting efficiency and all that which is still very important but i would say that the whole world is in a in a paradigm shift how we view leadership organizations our culture and there's so much more emphasis now which i really like on engagement motivation psychological safety all those things and what's cool is that mentimeter can really like help organizations worldwide to create that work atmosphere that we're all worth it you know we're all humans here at earth why do we have dysfunctional and toxic work culture well exactly we spend so much time don't exactly, we in work yeah. yeah so i think the next things for or the next thing for mentimeter that's already happening because we have a lot of like enterprise customers is help our customers with great trainings that are inclusive, engaging, interactive, help them with so they, their leaders become better leaders, more listening leaders, more curious leaders, more leaders that actually use the power of the, the intelligence of the group, basically. And then also the meeting efficiency part, like take decisions together, make people involved in your decisions so people commit to decisions and are engaged about decisions. Yeah, Mentimeter helps companies all around the world to transition their company culture into something more modern. So that's very inspiring for me. I like the idea of that. Anna yeah. Gullstrand, yeah. thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you. Joining me now is Anna Plotnikova. She's the CEO and founder of Fidium Group. Anna, lovely to see you. Well, pleasure is all mine. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, now you've lost your voice, but it's all in a very good cause, isn't it? So tell us about this breaking news at Slush. <laughs> so the, the breaking news besides me losing my voice is we were finalists at MasterCard Lighthouse program. And yesterday at 6 p.m. we won. Awesome. First ever Web3 company. And as you do, we went to sing karaoke and this is the result of it. Yeah, so tell, <laughs> tell me about that award then. How did that come about? What were you being rewarded for? What does it mean for the business? The whole program started four months ago and it's a truly partnership program where MasterCard brings fintech and scale-ups to deliver them products and their banking partners products as well. So for us as a Web3 company, it's a new revenue streams and actual cooperation and work with banking institutions. Okay, well let's go back a step. Let's talk about where the idea for Fidian came from. Our very first idea came three years ago and it was nothing like the end result. We started as a retail application and then very quickly we realized it's not the way to go and make money. There was a moment when we made $12 net profit. And then we realized we have to do something. It buys you lunch, doesn't it? <laughs> no, it was all reinvested back into business. <laughs> So we built a really exciting modular infrastructure that allows us A, to stay regulated and compliant per different jurisdictions that we operate. And we shifted, we started servicing B2B businesses like fellow other Web3 companies. And then we progressed and started service credit unions, uh, small to medium enterprises, development companies, and financial institutions. Yeah, well it's been great talking to loads of businesses here about how they grow and how they scale, and obviously, 
when doing that, you need to take on more staff. So I'd be really keen to know how you approach recruitment at Fidium. So recruitment, for a very long time, it was our pain point. Because as any company, we did overhire, and then we had to learn very hard way that this is not the way to do. Right now, at this moment, I'm very excited that we are more than 50% female or female-identified company. And it happened, I would say, by accident. We simply changed our hiring strategy by blanking all potential biases. Sometimes even universities, we were interested only in your GitHubs and experience. No sex, no name, we were not interested. And it helped us to grow massively. So how do you mean? So the applications that came in, you didn't know who they were at all, you just selected Exactly, from... it was interview questions in writing, right. some coding tasks, and the bias was gone. Mm. Straight away, yeah. I yeah. mean, it seems like an obvious thing to do, but other companies aren't doing that, are they? So. What's the driver for you? I mean, is it because you're a successful female in the tech industry and that's, you know, not that common still? Because for me, I think I was truly lucky to be surrounded by people that helped me. But I know that I don't want to leave it to luck for other people. We need to have just methods and means how everyone who is talented should have equal possibilities to be talented. And companies can do so much. It can start with internship program. We had testers that now became full-time back-end developers. There is no best social lift than tech and abilities that provides to people. And what about specifically Web3? How do we get more female leaders into that space? This is very interesting, but I would say tricky question, because how all Web3 started, it was all anonymous. And there were plenty of women, even back then, on the Bitcoin talk, and I was one of them. It seemed like with female poker players, online poker players, there are plenty of them, but everyone's hiding. Now it's time to put our faces out there. There are so many talented women, and I would really like to shout out to a woman organization in cryptocurrency. They're doing a fantastic job as well. I'm a happy member. We just need to step forward and lead by example. Yeah. Now, what, let's go back to Fidium. What do you see as the challenges of growing this business internationally? Right now, our biggest challenge is very fractioned legal infrastructure. We have European Union, we have Mika, everything's fine, it's black or white. Then UK decided to implement, well, quite different regime. So this is another set of rules and regulations we have to follow. Then we have Australia and also we have Canada. And if we touch United States, that's the whole new ordeal which will make our lawyers very happy because it's a lot of billable hours. Yeah, absolutely. And are there, I guess there are different challenges that come with those different territories and you have to really understand them before you approach them? Exactly. Uh, mainly because it is slightly easier to work with B2B customers uh, because usually regulators and most of the rules they apply to protecting retail customer, like everyday men, so they won't lose their assets if they invest into crypto. While working with businesses, the framework is much more clear and I would say more straightforward. And a final question, how do you see the way ahead? What are you excited about over the next 12 months? I would say everything. Us being winners of MasterCard's Lighthouse, it opened so many doors. Now we're on the path of becoming MasterCard's global technology partner and provider, which means it's going to be so many meetings, so much new development, not a lot of sleep, but I'm very excited. <laughs> well, congratulations for that again. It's, it's a superb achievement. You deserved your night on the karaoke last night. <laughs> Anna Plotnikova, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. I've just stepped away from remote stand here at Slush in Helsinki, and I'm here with Raul Vora in the podcast pod. He is the CEO of Superhuman. Raul, nice to see you here. 
Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about what you've been doing today. I understand it was a session around building brands. Is that right? Oh, it's been a, a jam-packed day. The main builders talk I gave was a session around building brand. I think we've done an interesting job of that at Superhuman, and there's lots of lessons therein. So I was excited to share that with everybody. Sure. Well, tell us a little bit about Superhuman then. What were the problems that you were trying to solve when you came up with the idea for the business? So Superhuman is the fastest email experience in the world. <laughs> Our customers get through their email about twice as fast as before. They reply to important messages up to a whole business day sooner. They save four hours or more every single week. And many of them actually see Inbox Zero for the first time in years. When it came to looking for a problem, I wanted to find the biggest problem I possibly could. And I'd actually sold my last company to LinkedIn. So I was doing a commute, which for those who will know it, it's from Mountain View to San Francisco. It's about an hour long. And I was in the back of a car. I was actually in the back of an Uber. And during this car ride, I sent off some emails. I finished some documents. I called my mother. I even was able to arrange a restaurant reservation <laughs> for my then girlfriend. And after all of that, it struck me, wow, the magic of Uber is not about transportation. It's not about getting from A to B. It's not even about convenience. It's about giving you back the most precious resource of all, which of course is time. And so when it was time for me to figure out the next company, that was my main lens, which is where do we all spend time and where am I qualified to help give people time back? Now, it turns out the thing that we all do more than anything else is sleep. And as somebody who suffers from sleep apnea, it's a very near and dear problem to me. But I also have no idea what to do about it. It's, it's hard. There are other far more qualified people working on that problem. But the next thing down is email. So there are roughly 1 billion professionals in the world. And on average, we spend three hours a day reading and writing emails. That's 3 billion hours every single day. It's over a trillion hours a year. And I knew exactly how to solve that problem. Mind-blowing figures, aren't they? Wow. It's, it's absurd. Yeah. So how did you solve that problem then? Well, it was long and it was hard and it's still ongoing. But we set out to build this experience, the fastest email experience in the world. And it's kind of easiest to think about from the impact backwards. Imagine if you had four hours extra every week. Imagine if you had the ability if your software helped you to get to important emails way sooner. Imagine if you just felt faster and happier going through your inbox. Then what are the ways that we can actually help people do that? An example would be a very powerful feature in the product is split inbox. So you can take your inbox and you can say, you know what, I want to split out all emails from this particular customer, or I want to split out all Google Docs notifications. I think we've all had the experience where, you know, someone sent you a document and they're like, hey, did you get the document? And you're like, no, I didn't. Why? Because it got buried under all the other emails mm. that I'm also getting. Well, what if you could be the kind of professional, the kind of coworker who never does that, who always gets back to everything when you have to? There are features that we built that make those things possible. Okay. That's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, giving back time, as you said, the, the most precious commodity that we had. Now, I'm always interested to hear about how businesses have changed since you had that initial germ of the idea, which was what, nine years ago? How much has a business changed in that time? Gosh, I mean, tremendously. That's, that's quite some time. One of the biggest changes that we've been undergoing over the last year is an evolution from a product that was focused on 
single-player prosumer use, if you will, to multiplayer use inside of corporations and enterprises. Mm -hmm. And that's been really fun to work on. We actually, over the last two years, have had an eight-fold increase in the number of teams using Superhuman together. And so it's just been one of the, the most fun growth experiences I've seen at the company. Sure. And what have been some of the challenges along the way in terms of growing internationally? What issues have you come across? Interestingly, it's not something that we have focused specifically on, yet email being a international problem, we have plenty of international customers. Mm -hmm. I think roughly a third of our revenue and a third of our customer base is actually international. Mm -hmm. But some of the challenges are, are the esoteric. Anyone who's tried to create a subscription billing service in India will know that at least until very recently, it's been very difficult. And so that's an example where we've had to go the extra mile in order to serve that geography and serve it well. Yeah. And what about talents? Obviously, you need the best people in a business. How do you go about recruiting and finding the best talent? Honestly, one of the hardest things a founder can do is that. Mm. I think be honest, be authentic, tell a world-changing story, really mean it, and then have the goods to deliver, actually have traction. You know, no one's expecting perfection. No one is expecting you to have solved the problems. But if you can show that you're in the process of solving them, that you're in the process of winning, and that most importantly, that you're delighting your customers, you're improving their lives, that you're making the world a better place, that's how you get the best talent. Absolutely. Now, what about Superhuman? What's next on the agenda then? You know, we've talked about when you started the company and how far you've grown. What's coming next? Well, we've got so much in the pipeline. Just to give a brief glimpse, obviously a lot of what we're working on right now is our AI set of features. Earlier this year, we launched Write with AI, so you can create a complete email based off just a few phrases, and it will write it in your own voice, in your own tone. Just a few weeks ago, we released a feature that we call Auto Summarize. So on every conversation that you go to, there is now a one-liner that exists at the top of the email that summarizes what's going on. And I think we've all been on long, seemingly interminable email threads. This is a super helpful feature. And then coming up, imagine if you could wake up to your inbox and have it with email drafts pre-written for you. Sounds like science fiction, but <laughs> we're kind of getting there. Yeah, some really exciting developments to come. I mean, yeah, that sounds like it's going to transform our working lives, really, isn't it, over the next five to 10 years? That's our plan. <laughs> Ralph Vora, thanks for joining me here today. Thanks for having me. Joining me now is Arunyas Etutis. He is the CEO of Frontu. Nice to see you here today. Nice to see you. How did you come up with the idea for Frontu? Talk to me about that. You were founded, what, in 2013, I think? Uh, yeah, the idea came in 2013. Yeah, so 10-year anniversary, big celebration. Uh, yeah, we have a birthday party uh, uh, last week. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah. So uh, it's the easy one, I think, I, I mean about the idea. So it came from the customer. Basically, you know, the customer who had technicians in the field came and said, you know, I don't know what they do. There is an issue with the like paperwork. I cannot read the, you know what they write or the papers I missed and so on. So, and that's uh, then we go to a few other customers, like potential ones, and you know we started to build. So, ten years. You know that's a bit of a landmark period, isn't it? What lessons have you learned during that time? The the biggest one. So you know that was ten years in anniversary. So I was thinking about that. You know what we came through. And uh, the biggest one, and I think uh, it could be the lesson for the ones who just starting, that you have to go 100% uh, as fast as you can. 
I mean, I was way too late, I yeah. think so. First, what do you mean by uh, that? Why were you too late? I think first four years I was doing um, other other projects, uh, not not frontal uh, only, and and uh, everything. Uh, went well only after I, I, I went 100% on that. So I think that's the big lesson to learn. Um, and the next one, which just, I think, uh, came two years uh, before, is that uh, focus is... Uh, I mean, you have to have way bigger focus than I thought personally. You have to. I mean, you know, there is ICP and so on, but how narrow or how vertical you have to go is, is, is the second one, I think. Yeah. Uh, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Well, no, you talked about focus there, kind of personal focus. What no, about I mean... Uh, the focus of the business as well? Business focus. So how business has that focus. changed then? What, what's, what's, where is the focus now compared to where it was? So field service management is quite broad, you know. You can fix, like, your technicians can fix ACs, your technicians can fix tractors, and it could be facility management, it could, it could be security and so on. So basically, verticalization is the one thing. And then what I said to my team, when we put the tractor image in fronto.com, then we understood that that's where we are focusing, really, you know? That's a huge shift. And then all the messaging you do is about tractors on our uh, side. And, uh, so tell me about tractors then. How, how did you get involved with that? What, what do you actually do with tractors? <laughs> So again, it's about ICP. So you just do a list of your like uh, verticals, and you see that you know the one who is paying uh, most is like uh, f farming industry. So basically, what we do, you know, if the tractor is, is stuck in the field, so technician is coming with our app and like fixing and logging all the work spare parts, taking digital signatures, and so on. So basically, we'll, we we help for dealers uh, to deal with the maintenance uh, uh, stuff. And uh, that's a big shift now in the industry. So we, by the way, was the first this year to make an integration with the biggest heavy machinery uh, manufacturers. Uh, what that means for farmer and, and those dealers, basically, that, you know, if the tractor is stuck in the field, there is no any additional hardware included or office employees included. But we know the issue, why, what is the fault. We know where is the technician, and we know where is the tractor in the field, <laughs> yeah. and we just like create work order to fix that. I call that open tractoring. Uh, <laughs> you know, there is open banking, so I call that open tractoring. Perfect. But I mean, that's a bigger than that, actually. So if uh, we talk about the future, you know, and you have AC or boiler at your home, so basically, I think in the future you will pay subscription not for the boiler or AC even, but for the temperature at your home, okay? And if some, something will be broken, you will even maybe don't know about that, uh, will not know about that, but the technician will come and, and, and will fix something yeah. that the temperature will be at yeah, 23 yeah. I didn't know degrees. know a problem, but he turned up yeah. anyway, yeah. And that's, you know, technology is already there, but like ecosystem is not ready, some decisions need to be made, so some, you know, data will flow uh, to the third parties from those devices. So, but that's it, that, that's the thing, you know, not only software will go to, to, to subscriptions. Now, I'm always keen to hear about how businesses grow, mm -hmm. uh, particularly here at Slash. So, tell me a little bit about how you've grown the business outside of Lithuania. Yes, yeah, so, uh, 
By the way, we didn't uh, start as a startup. Let's say we just started as a local business, do do stuff, and then the branches in you know all the Baltic states started to 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 buy our product, and we thought, okay, maybe we need to raise the money. And then I, by the way, moved full time. So that was like Baltics, and then uh, okay, we, we we saw that you know now our verticals we are like. 50, 60 percent, uh, have 50, 60 percent, 80 even percent penetration in those verticals. So, so, so it's quite niche. So we thought we need to grow, you know, and where we need to go. Okay, so where are we good at? So we kind of educate people, you know, and educate companies how to do that. So which countries are not educated enough? So we like chosen CE region, and then we go down. So now like Romania, Czech, Croatia, Poland, of course. So that's where we are, and uh, that's where we are growing. And uh, yeah, the next step is like uh, um, Germany and a bit of West, but still, um, still Europe. So we have now customers in 15 countries or so. Uh, relatively very small team. Uh, by the way, again, uh, some uh, some some funny, maybe uh, like stats that uh, four years ago, amount of employees was the same like we have now in the company, but the customer's uh, number grew like three or four times. Wow. That's efficiency. Yeah, that is. That is incredible. Yeah. Okay, well, final question for you. Mm -hmm. um, you spoke about expansion there. How do you approach recruitment across borders? Mostly it's, it's sales now. Yeah, our team is distributed. Uh, now we have employees in four countries, um, fully remote. Uh, or remote first. We have the office, by the way, in Lithuania, but a small one. It's it's difficult, I would say. <laughs> I mean, it's it's difficult, and and uh, uh, same same talking about the hiring, same about the uh, selling uh, in 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 the countries you don't know uh, so much, and it it's all about the culture in the in those countries, and you need to learn that. And uh, what I understand, if you are not there, it's uh, way longer. Uh, you need more time by, uh, to, to, to learn that. So we just fly to, to the expo, so just to be a bit uh, in the country to understand. And then you hire people, and then you try to do sales, and try to understand uh, how they think, or how their culture works. Yeah. Well, best of luck with building that culture at Frontu. Arunyas Etutis, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Okitos, to all our guests who came to speak with me on Remote Stand here at Slush 2023. I really hope you've enjoyed these conversations. Please do follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to contribute to the discussion, you can find us on LinkedIn and all the other social channels. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>